Alright, so tonight is the last of talk in our series, and it's on self-denial and mortification. And I want to start with a little anecdote um, about mortification and also about Opus Dei. So I've talked a lot about the spirituality of St. Josemaria, the founder of Opus Dei. And one of the things they are kind of known for is using physical uh, mortifications, corporal mortifications as they're called. I can remember a few years ago, um, I had a priest who was my spiritual director, a priest of Opus Dei, and I'd been reading the life of various saints, and I'd kind of got myself all psyched up that, you know, I'm ready for this, you know. Um, so I went to my spiritual director and, uh, you know, told him everything I'd been reading, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. And I was expecting him to give me one of these or, or one of those. Um, and he said to me, he listened to what I said, and he said, the mortification you need to make in your life now is to go to bed on time. <laughs> um, and obviously that was quite deflating, <laughs> but it did actually indicate what the true meaning of mortification is. That these physical things in some ways can be a diversion, but the essence of mortification is in all things saying no to ourselves. And often that can be in something as simple as going to bed on time. And in every no like that, there is built in a yes. That Why would I be saying no to just pottering around for yet another half hour at night? Well, because I want to live the next day to the full, live the next day fully awake to be able to do my work properly. So every no is about saying yes to something else. So, um, these, these two pictures, this is a thing called a psyllis. Um, it's worn around the leg, um, and it doesn't break the skin, but it is uncomfortable. It's like a chain, it's got little poking bits into your skin, and um, those who wear it would typically wear it for a half hour, an hour a day. And then um, a whip, or what's typically called a discipline, um, since uh, John Paul II is among many of recent use that would have used these. Um, I'll say a bit more about those later, but these are a very particular form of mortification. And before we think about those, let's think about what mortification is in general. So we've got two images here, Jesus dying, Jesus risen. Uh, and that's the path that mortification is all about. It's about being remade, about dying and rising, and about being conformed to the image of the Son. Why do I need to say no to myself? Why do I need to die? Because that's the same path he took. And if I want that new life, I likewise have to die and lots of bits about myself. And this is what we read in scripture. So St. Paul in particular uses this phrase, the old man. So here's an image of Adam and Eve being cast out of Eden um, when they'd sinned so in their fallen state. So we have all these phrases, the old man, the man of the flesh, the man of sin, the man of death. References to sinful passions working in its members, bearing fruit unto death. There's something in me that's wrong. And that whole package of what's wrong, St. Paul calls the old man. In contrast, obviously, <laughs> to the new man, who is Christ. So St. Paul uses this phrase, mortified. Now, literally, if you know your Latin... Um, mortification means to put to death, to kill something. So he uses this phrase in many different ways, being 
crucifying the old nature within us, putting to death the old nature. Um, so that's what I need to do with this old man inside me. Not allow the old man to stay there. He has to be crucified. He has to be put to death that the resurrection might come forth. Just in the words of Jesus, um, not St. Paul, he says, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it can't bear harvest. He says, whoever would save his life must lose it, and whoever would lose his life will save it. So not clinging to the old man, not clinging that this is the life I know, I don't want to let go of it. No, I've got to be willing to lose it. Then, of course, he says, if anyone would be my disciple, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So taking up of the cross, self-denial in its many different forms, this is the pattern of all Christians who are following Christ. We can't follow Christ to the resurrection unless we take the path he took through Calvary. So, this is the goal, to be the new man, to be conformed to the image of the Son, to be remade. Alright, I want to say a few bits more um, about types of mortification. So there's a distinction that's often made between active and passive. So passive is what you receive, what you don't choose. Active is something you actively choose. So example I've given here is I choose to fast. That's my idea. Whereas I accept that I'm sick today. It wasn't my initiative. I didn't choose to be sick. I didn't choose to be tired. It's just that's what happens to me. You might not choose maybe to be stuck behind a very slow driver. Or you might not choose to be have your train delayed. Or all kinds of things happen to us. Well, if I accept them, in a spirit of accepting my cross, then that is a passive mortification. But I have to choose to accept it. Otherwise, all those very same things I can just take in a spirit of anger and frustration and impatience. Whereas if I choose to accept them as little things that I embrace, that are a carrying of my cross, then I receive my acceptance that's passive mortification. Lots of other things that are active mortification. Active choosing to deny myself. So in Lent, everything we do in our giving things up for Lent, our fasting in Lent, is active mortification. I choose to deny myself some pleasure in an active way. So you see this distinction? Active and passive. Now, one of the reasons we need to have some active mortification, something that we go out and choose, is that I don't, it's very difficult to sustain a spirit of passive mortification, a spirit of accepting the difficulties that come to me, unless I'm also going out and kind of choosing other difficulties. And when I have that interior disposition, such that, Suffering isn't something I instinctively go, no, 
but actually I'm able to take suffering and make it a cross with Jesus, a path to new life, that when all those bad things come my way, actually I'm able to embrace them in a wholly different attitude, because I have some things I'm actively going out and seeking in addition. All of which is obviously very different to our modern mentality where everything is pleasure-driven, everything is wanting the easy life, that anything bad coming your way is a disaster, is a sign of injustice and whatever else. Whereas to actively go out and seek to deny yourself pleasure, well, it's the very opposite of our modern hedonistic culture. So let's focus this question slightly differently. Can you see that? Um, what is it that needs putting to death in me? So I said, you know, we have this phrase in scripture, the old man, that needs to be put to death. Well, what is it in me that needs to be put to death? Laziness. Laziness. Gluttony. Gluttony. Well, yes, yes. That are always there with right. us, aren't they? Scripture uses the phrase, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Um, St. John also uses a phrase referring to what we call the threefold mortification in my will, in my imagination, and in the flesh. And the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. So, my will needs to be put to death, my imagination needs to be also, and my flesh which is actually just a circumstance of the will. But because my flesh kind of moves me quite powerfully, often in the wrong things, whether it's gluttony or something else, that becomes a particular focus to be concentrated on in its own right. So basically the rest of tonight, I'm going to talk about each of these three one by one and explain what each means. So firstly, to think, what's wrong with my will? Well, here's a picture of Mr. Lazy. That can be my will on many an occasion. Selfishness. Um, have we all seen this notion that the centre of sin and pride is I. That I am in the centre of sin. That my will, to put here, my will is typically habituated to self-seeking. What does my will yearn for if I'm not controlling it or anything? It's just yearning for me. Yearning for my life to be okay and other people come second. So there's something in my will that needs correcting, something in my will that needs being put to death, that a new direction in my will might come forth. So there is something wrong in my will, and therefore my will needs putting to death. Okay, this is a slightly different image. Plan A, plan B saying no to what my will is set upon. So, you've got some choice in life, and life, your day consists of one choice after another. And maybe you were going to do one thing. Well, to say no to that and do the other would be to mortify your will. To see, well, my will is set upon this thing, but I'll accept the other. A little saying no to myself. This is the pattern of mortification putting to death 
the will. How do I put the will to death? I say no to my will. As I said earlier, every saying no to the will is also saying yes to something else that is enabled by it, which is the ultimate goal. Why did Jesus die? In order that he might rise again. Why do I say no to my will? In order that my will might be refashioned into something else. But in countless choices that I face during the day, I can say no to my will. I can recognise what my will was set upon and say no to it. So three examples of saying no. Um, so here's a picture of a woman standing on the London Underground. So when I lived in London, a friend of mine was a member of Opus Dei, and this was one of their little mortifications. Not fancy, not going to change the world, but it's saying no to what your will is set upon. To choose to stand when you could sit. Now you can notice that would also mean other people would be able to sit, because there would be a chair free for them. There'd be all kinds of little things in that. But it's just a simple thing to identify a pattern in your day in which you can, without much fanfare, without much complication, say no to what your will otherwise could be habituated for. Different type of saying no. Not fussing over choices. So, choice of shoes, ties or coat. So here's a woman with <laughs> struggling I'm to... I'm not sure I like that. that. <laughs> <laughs> Tut, why don't we have a man? Not, choo not choosing his tie, Father, come on. Well, we, we had a woman who was volunteering to stand in the previous image. <laughs> so we have lots of situations where we can have a choice and we can fuss about it. Well, one small way of mortifying our will is just say, well, I will make this choice quickly. That I know actually I could spend a lot of time on it. Actually, it won't be the end of the world if I've got slightly different shoes to the other ones, make a choice simply. One way of mortifying the will. Then another way of putting that, of sitting it to reverse my personal preference, especially when I'm with others uh, and in practice when I'm alone. So, I want an apple, but I have an orange instead. Or I want an orange and I have an apple instead. You know, it's not the end of the world, but it's a small thing in which I'm trying to habituate my will into being able to say no to myself. So that when I'm with other people, and I know that other people, so-and-so actually likes oranges, well, it becomes a much easier thing to let go of not having the orange, because I've acquired that discipline of being able to freely go against what my will has set upon. It frees me to be able to love. Whereas when my will is set upon always getting what I want, then it's very difficult to love. Because I come into a situation where other people have their needs and I'm habituated to getting my way. So, saying no to what my will is set upon, that's mortifying the will, putting it to death. And, you know, this isn't a big, complicated thing, but it's seeking to acquire a different habit in how I relate to my will. <clears throat> On to the next point, mortifying the imagination. 
Now, um, the imagination is another thing that needs mortifying in us. Uh, the saints talk a lot about the difficulties of the imagination. Um, let me note first, though, before that, that actually the imagination positively is a tool. It's part of what God's given us in our makeup. So I can use my imagination to plan future events. I can use my imagination to analyze my problems. And in prayer, I can use my imagination to envisage Jesus in the Gospels. So my imagination in itself isn't a bad thing. But my imagination easily runs away with itself. Uh, now if we're complaining about sexist imagery, um, St. Teresa of Avila um, said, Imagination is a wild woman running through the house. Oh, I've been there, seen that, done that one, Father. <laughs> it's quite a vivid image, though. This image of the, in my head, there's this wild woman running around. Um, and that's what my imagination is doing. Uh, and it's distracting me from all kinds of things actually I should be focused on. So that the imagination, although it's a gift from God, it's part of what we are, and it has all those positive things it should be used for, it easily runs away with itself. So it's another thing within me that I need to put to death, to refocus. So, um, here's a, somebody stuffing their face, yes? Now, if you stop thinking about food, you're going to reduce your desire for food. If you think about something a lot, you start to want it more. If you stop thinking about something, you want it less. Um, if you've got some problem in life, somebody who has done something against you, and you think about them, and you imagine them, and you imagine all kinds of things about them, will you shift from being a little angry to getting more angry to getting more angry still? that imagining things is, makes our anger run away with itself. So, imagining less, all kinds of different things, is a way of reducing an improper desire. So, an improper desire for food, I mortify my imagining of the food. An improper anger with somebody, well, I mortify my thinking about that person. So, the problem, how to control our thoughts, how to mortify our thoughts. Um, and there are vast writings of the saints on this. I'm going to point to two things very simply that they say. Ah, yes, just a little irony here. St. Augustine says, the mind commands the body and it obeys. The mind commands itself and meets resistance. So I tell myself... Um, don't think about that thing. And I start thinking about the thing I'm not thinking about <laughs> even more. It's, it's not straightforward how to control the imagination, um, but it can be done. Um, so two little tools. <coughs> Strategy one, simply diversion. So I recognise that my imagination is this wild woman running around in my head. Well, I need to divert her to something else. And one of the ways of doing that is having a, a ready stock of things I know easily attract my attention. 
So it might be, um, if I'm having a sinful thought, um, how do I break that? Well, a pious thought, like our Lord's suffering on the cross, can be a powerful enough thought in my imagination that it diverts my thinking, my imagination away from the bad thing to the Lord. Um, and once that thinking has been broken, it can kind of move to other things. We can also have ready diversions just of things we find interesting. So maybe um, a novel I'm reading, or a film I've just watched, something that interests me, I have as a ready stock that my imagination can turn to, and by turning to, my imagination is busy, but it's busy about a more innocent thing, a less problematic thing. So to have a ready stock of things that I'm ready to divert my imagination to. So that's kind of strategy one. Uh, it's very briefly explained, but there's a lot in there. Strategy two, perhaps more simply, and in some ways easier said than done, is simply to stop thinking about something. To recognise that I am now, in my mind, engaged in a whole train of thoughts that I just need to break. So that I, I need at least to recognise that. And that if I don't recognise that, then this bad train of thoughts, this wild imagination, will just get worse and worse. So these two things, to, to recognise that there are some things I need to stop, and to be ready to divert them to something else. So, talk about modification of the will, modification of the imagination. Last thing, mortification of the flesh. So what do we mean by the flesh? Or well, we mean anything that has sensible pleasures. Um, so said here, this is sometimes referred to as a circumstance of mortifying the will. So it's what my will is set upon, but has this particular category of fleshy pleasures that pull me more powerfully than my will is pulled to other things. And the two locuses are food and sex. No picture here. Um, but that's quite a nice buffet. Shame it's So I have within me yearnings for these two types of things. Um, and the yearnings within me are more than they should be. Why do people get fat? because they yearn more than is healthy for them. And the thing they're yearning for is good, but it's yearning too much. It needs to be controlled. It needs to be somehow put to death, that it might be refocused properly. Yes, yeah, so as I've said here, the pleasures are good and God-given, but my desires for them are excessive and disordered. So it is very important to remember this point, that the pleasures themselves and what they relate to are good and are God-given. So we are, as Catholics, we're not manichees, we don't believe that the flesh itself is corrupted or depraved. We don't believe that the physical order itself is separate from God. No, it's just how I relate to it 
that's wrong. It's in my will that there is a disorder, <coughs> not the things themselves being disordered. So, how do I mortify it? Well, self-denial. I deny myself some pleasure. Now, I've spelt this out here. I said, I'm saying no to a pleasure of the flesh. Why? Because my desires need training, need disciplining, need forming, need mortifying. So it's my desires that need to work on them. It's not the flesh itself that's the problem. And how do I work on it? Well, I say no to some pleasure. I want that cream cake. I want that bourbon during Lent. But I've said no, I'm denying myself some pleasure. And that's going to affect my will. It's going to form how I relate to the pleasures of the flesh. Hopefully form them such that at the end of Lent and Eastertide, I'm going to have a, a healthier attitude to those pleasures of the flesh. They won't rule me, I'll be able to rule and enjoy them. Okay, a couple of examples. So, obviously fasting. So, the Lord fasted 40 days and 40 nights in the desert. This is what we're doing now in this season of Lent. We're with him in the desert. So, fasting is the classical form of self-denial. Put here a menu. Um, if you go to a restaurant and you have a choice before you, well, you can simplify a choice of pleasure, just like the lady with all those shoes to choose from. Um, well, to not drink your favourite beer, or you want this item on the starter and you go for the other. And you're in a restaurant, so both of them are probably going to be okay, but a small choice of one rather than another. Um, or again, not spending as long choosing, not fussing over the choice. A small way of saying no to a pleasure. Not destroying the pleasure altogether, not removing it altogether, but I'm reducing my attachment, my absorption. You know, it's possible to go somewhere and be obsessed with the meal being perfect, rather than just enjoying it being less than perfect. So actually, this can be an example of how we enjoy life more if we have mortified our flesh. So to put it this way, who enjoys alcohol more? The alcoholic or the person who isn't an alcoholic? Well actually the alcoholic doesn't enjoy the alcohol as much. It, he's ruled by it. Whereas the person who isn't an alcoholic is able to freely enjoy the alcohol. And we're wanting to do something similar in our mortifying of the flesh, to have controlled, reformed my desires for the flesh so that I'm actually able to enjoy them but not be ruled by them. Um, another small example, salt and pepper. So you could choose not to put them on your food. Um, I said here, sometimes, not every time. So if you never have salt on your food, then to not go without it loses it being a penance. Um, so variety in this can keep the penance real. Um, though I know for health reasons lots of us never put salt on anyway, but 
with a bit of imagination, we face choices like this in lots of things, to go for something a little less than the perfection that can be demanded. Okay, getting a little more serious now. That's an image of a cold shower. Okay, He's that's smiling. <laughs> I suppose his hand would just about be covering. Um, so cold showers, um, I suppose some of you who might have gone to public schools might have had this as a routine discipline. Um, <laughs> How much the age where that could bring death? <laughs> we're, moving, we're moving slightly here to the example of a more serious mortification. But it's something, again, that isn't likely to kill you. Um, you will still end up getting clean. You'll probably get clean quicker. <laughs> Apparently a cold bath is even better for you than a cold shower. There was a newspaper article recently, someone had done a study of the health bodies to your blood pressure and your heart. Actually it's not good for us to have these hot showers and hot baths. Okay, so this is one example. A cold shower. Um, then the pictures I started with, a discipline, whipping yourself, uh, and a psyllis. Um, these are a deliberate inflicting of pain on yourself. Um, why are you choosing pain? Well, in the same way that the Lord chose the cross. In itself, suffering is an evil thing. In itself, suffering only exists in this world because of original sin. But I can actively go out and I can choose some things to be my path to the resurrection. And these more direct embracing of physical penances is one way of doing that. Now let me note with that a danger. So any of these dramatic penances or all kinds of others, there can be the danger of pride. So I finish having my cold shower, and aren't I good? Aren't I the best priest in Dorset? I bet none of those other slackers had a cold shower this morning. Um, you can also lose a sense of proportion. So in the Christian life, you know, as I've said, Jesus both fasted and feasted. He didn't only fast. And in these things, we can get attracted to the dramatic and fail to have balance in these. So the remedy for this is to have a spiritual director that you consult regularly about these things. And it might be, if you're doing these things, that actually you don't have a regular director for everything, but you at least have a priest that you go to about these questions. So that this one issue, that it's very easy for your pride and other things to get all distorted in your spiritual life, that you go and ask. Am I doing too much? Am I doing too little? Um, and that can be one of the ways of avoiding the dangers of dramatic penances. Um, okay, let's skip on here. Summary slide here. Back to the <coughs> beginning. What is mortification? It's about being remade 
about dying and rising in Christ, being conformed to the image of the Son. He died to rise again. I seek to do the same. I seek to put to death the old man that the new may rise. And what needs putting to death in me? The will, so I say no to myself. The imagination, so the wild woman isn't running around up there. And the flesh, in penance and self-denial. All right, that concludes.